0: What is all this? I figured we'd be spending some time together, so I moved in. I hope I'm not crowding you. What's the matter? Don't you like books? Oh, I like them fine. Books, young man. Books. Thousands of them. If time wasn't so important, I'd show you something. My library. Thousands of books. Beam aboard for another episode of TOS Trek Novels. As always, I'm your host, Jason, broadcasting from Memory Zeta, my own personal Star Trek TOS library. In tonight's episode, I am going to delve into the novel Battle Stations by Diane Carey. Captain's log, star date 1329.8. The USS Enterprise in pursuit of an unidentified vessel. Back on Earth, enjoying a well deserved short leave, Captain Kirk is rudely accosted by a trio of Starfleet security guards. It seems he is wanted for questioning in connection with the theft of Transwarp, the Federation's newest, most advanced propulsion system. Could Captain Kirk, Starfleet's most decorated hero, be guilty of stealing a top-secret technology? With the aid of Mr. Spock, Lieutenant Commander Piper begins a search for the scientists who developed Transwarp, a search that leads her to an isolated planet where she discovers the real and very dangerous traitor. Commendation, Palm Leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Prentaris Ribbon of Commendation, Classes First and Awards of Valor, Medal of Honor. So this was the uh, pocketbooks number 31. And it was published in November of 1986. And it is literally a direct sequel to the novel Dreadnought, also by Diane Carey, which I uh, covered in the last episode. Uh, It literally picks up at the end of Dreadnought. Kirk invites Piper to come sailing with them on Earth. And this takes picks up right during while they're sailing. So, I mean, it's like a direct sequel. sequel. Um, for listeners of the last episode, this next part is going to sound a little repetitive, I'm sure, but I'm always I'm going to repeat it just for those that may be just checking out this episode because they really like this book or whatever. Uh, so the author, Diane Carey, is a widely published author. She's been published a number of historical romance novels under the pseudonyms D.L. Carey and Lydia Gregory. Under her own name, she has written movie tie-ins and a few books in the Aliens franchise tie-in novel system as well. She has also written 31 novels across the many versions of Star Trek. She wrote 12 TOS novels, and although Dreadnought was her first, this was her second. Um, And again, if you look at the cover, the... uh, cover for the novel when you look at the drawings of piper it's actually a drawing of diane carey since we've passed mercury the sun's pull on us has increased greatly from here we'll move even faster and captain notice the chronometers they've started backward minute by minute the speed of time passage will now increase all right so again you know i say this happens in the final year the original five-year mission as far as where it fits in the timeline Nothing solid can prove this, but just with references made and, you know, in passing and as well as just the vibe of what they were actually dealing with, it doesn't seem, uh you know, that it would be something that happened in like season one or something like that. Uh, and it seems like they're getting ready to because of all the things that happened in the novel it appears that they're getting ready to promote Kirk to Admiral, which as we know, you know, in the motion picture, that's whenever, uh, you know, he's an admiral at the start of the Star Trek, the motion picture. So I take this as like the final year of the original five year mission. What am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor? I'm a doctor, not an engineer. Look, I'm a doctor, not an escalator. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. All right. So in this section, I talked about, you know, the main characters, um, and again, just like the previous novel, it tends to uh, focus mostly on created characters created specifically by Miss Carey, and so it continues. One of the main the main character is again uh, now she's Lieutenant Commander Piper after the events of uh, Dreadnought. Uh, Doctor Morete is there again. Uh, remember, she's the doctor who at the end of the previous novel spoiler alert uh you realize she was actually working with uh, the traitors admiral written house but she kind of came to and realized the error of her ways there's sarda who is the uh vulcan weapons expert which you know kind of piper spock so to speak uh there was a uh, scanner scanner is a kind of Piper's Scotty. He's a guy that, you know, loves working with machines and whatever. Some of the new characters in this one are Perrin and Professor Professor Ursula Mornay, and I'll get more into them when I get into the spoiler plot. Uh, and then, as far as main characters, you know, the standard bridge crew, McCoy, Spock, Kirk, and Scotty play pretty heavily in this story. Captain's log supplement. I think I've discovered the answer. All right. So, in this section, this is when I get into like the spoiler plot of the uh, book. And so, you know, I'll put, as always, I'll put show notes, you know, skip ahead if you don't want to hear the spoiler. Because I mean, I get, you know, kind of go through some detail. I will say, I, you know, thanks to Memory Beta for this summary because uh, I read the book so fast, which is a, will come, back to that whenever i get in the review that i didn't take very good notes this time but i'm able to use the uh summary of the book from uh memory beta which is a great website that deals with star trek fiction so book opens on this uh, sailing vessel the edith keeler which i thought was a neat little uh reference to uh kirk's love from uh the city on the edge forever i know i'm For any Trek fan that's listening to this, they're also thinking, they're saying, we know, dude, we know. Uh, But on this ship, it's being crewed currently by Kirk, McCoy, Scotty, and Piper. And they're doing like a fake um, kind of military-naval battle, and they are winning against... Ambassador Ben Shemirin's, uh ship, which was called the Gavilon. I may be pronouncing that uh, incorrectly. Uh, during this, three members of Starfleet security beam aboard escort Kirk and, Spotty, S- Kirk and Scotty to Starfleet headquarters for questioning regarding the theft of technology, this transwarp that was developed by Lieutenant Sarda. And again, remember Sarda is the Vulcan uh, weapons expert. Piper hides in the ship, and once Kirk and Scotty have been taken away, she succeeds in stunning the security personnel left in charge. She gets the assistance of uh, the ambassador's ship, and she basically gets to a place where Piper finds, uh, waiting for her, a vessel that Kirk had assigned to her, and it's funny because she's all excited, like, on oh my word, she has a ship, and it's a misshapen, overhauled construction tug that's nicknamed the Trannosaurus Rex also waiting for Piper at the time or her friend's scanner and Dr. Marotte. Um, And they explain that Spock came to them and programmed the computer. And so she's upset because she doesn't like the ship and she renames it the banana Republic and sets sets off for Starfleet command in San Francisco. Uh, however, as the ship approaches the west coast the programming that spock had in it sets it out the deep space and it enters um, warp speed so piper's not very happy about this and uh, although the ship acknowledges that piper's the commander the navigation program has been entered by spock and cannot be in overridden uh, so they head for this planet argillius and you know she decides she has to get control of the Ship, and eventually she's able to, you know, outthink the computer again in a very typical Kirk maneuver. Uh, she proceeds under her own authority, um, deeply concerned. She's concerned about Sarda, and so she starts reviewing some of the educational practices of his Vulcan clan and, you know, trying to get him help that he needs. Uh, then suddenly a shuttle appears and approaches. It's actually Spock in the shuttle. Spock explains that Sarda is one of the four surviving members of Rittenhouse's science team. The others are Boma, which we met in the last book, also the character from the Galileo 7. Um, and he, Boma, has been cooperating with Starfleet since, you know, the whole attempted coup and all that. Uh, Professor Ursula Mornay, and a Vulcan named Perrin. Mornay is kind of like a rebel, uh, subversive, and uh, she told Boma that they were going to bring the transwarp technology to Argelius to auction it off to the highest bidder. And so Spock's kind of 100% sure that they are going to, you know, Kirk will arrive and they'll kind of work it out. Um, so they finally arrive in orbit around the planet and the, right away the ship's hit by a transwarp animator antimatter flux wave. Only Spock's quick action saves the crew from being phased into unreality. Um, Piper realized the scientists are trying to build a transwarp device and then they accidentally release the and the wave that they accidentally released may have killed Sarda and the others. And then there's a little flashback where they talk about when her and Sarda are working together. Um, Piper orders scan, scanner to transmit radio waves could be picked up only by Sarda, who would know who was sending them when he does. Piper, McCoy, and Morete beam down to the city to find a cantina that Spock arranged for him that uses a base. Piper is required to dance for the guest and gets into a brawl with a group of Klingons. McCoy and scanner join in fighting So I mean, it's kind of funny but again, again pretty good um piper and scanner go to this farm they find sarda they wait outside for kirk to provide a distraction which turns out to be this herd of essentially like argillian cows um but as they're so as they're trying to escape by undetected. They're met by Perrin, who takes them, remember Perrin's the other Vulcan working on this, takes them at Phaser Point to a room where they are joined by Sarda. Left alone with his tomb friend, Sarda explains that he cooperated with the other scientists only because he had the knowledge of the transwarp safety systems to prevent them from actually hurting people. Then eventually they're joined by this Mornay and some guards there's, I mean, just a lot of typical type, uh, stuff in there. Again, I'm like, I don't want to read word for word for word, uh, the thing, because it would ruin the entire story. Uh, so eventually, uh, the group enters this main lab area and, uh, they're trying to signal the, their ship, the Tyrannosaurus Rex or the B- Banana Republic, whichever name you have. Uh, but they're attacked by Klingons that are trying to steal the uh, Transwarp. Perrin fires on the Klingons uh, and he leaves choosing not to help or hinder Piper, kind of lets Piper alone. And uh, Sarda momentarily thinks about leaving with this Vulcan, but instead just stays with his friend Piper. Um And so, you know, again, very typical, uh, you know, lots of action kind of going on there. Uh, McCoy and Morete find an, an antidote to this drug that's potentially, uh, fatal that, uh, Boma gassed the Enterprise with. And then two Klingon ships, the Cloak and their commander, declares his intent to tow the the Enterprise into Klingon space. Kirk goes to sickbay. There's, you know, again, lots and lots of drama. Um, Kirk ends up sending out unmanned shuttlecraft Columbus. And when a Romulan ship comes there, takes it under... The wing, Spock destroys the shuttle and the Romulan ship. More ships appear. Some are Tholian, some are Klingon, all over. Everybody wants this uh, thing, the transwarp engine. And, uh, you know, to try to... Because it would change the shape of the galaxy and the power of the galaxy. Piper eventually convinces Kirk to let Perrin connect the transwarp to the Enterprise warp drive. uh, And then they... Flux it through the sensors and you know, whatever. Scanner has a big part in helping there. And then essentially the and when they escape the trans warp effect. And this is the one part even from years ago. Like I read this many, many years ago when I was much, much younger. Rereading this was one part that I thought was so awesome. Uh, the trans warp effect, when they go to trans warp, it ends up like messing up the space around the enterprise and it actually like dissolves some of the enemy ships it rearranges some of the other ships into different parts so it's like you know a Klingon ship could have like a Tholian ship merged into it it kind of reminds me if you've ever read any you know conspiracy theory stuff of what supposedly happened in uh the Philadelphia experiment that's what it brought to mind uh so you know when the crew enterprise uses it again another ship disappears uh, as well some more klingon ships appear but they're followed by three federation starships and it seems like it's going to you know become a pretty big thing then that ambassador shows up who he's the one that brought the starships to the rescue and Kirk says he's going to recommend Perrin to be returned to Vulcan for the judgment of his thing. And, you know, then it wraps up pretty much, uh, very similar to like, you know, all happy ending. Piper is, uh, going to be promoted again and showed what a great officer she was and that sort of thing so again that was the spoilerly plot again I didn't go in detail page by page by page because I didn't want to do that but I went through a little more of the detail than what was just on the back of the book please computer computer ah Hello, computer. Just use the keyboard. The keyboard. How quaint. So, in this one section, this is where I talk about the references the canon. And again, the biggest one that I noticed uh, that really jumped up was just that Kirk's ship was named the, the Keeler. I thought that was really neat. Uh, there was lots of, like, one-line references that things that have happened in different shows. Like uh, again, Tribbles were mentioned. I think they even mentioned them We Mugatu, uh, in the book. And so just little things that you're like, oh, that's neat. I know what they're talking about, but there is no direct ties to, uh, anything canon. Excuse me. I'd just like to ask a question. What does God need with a starship? I said, what does God need with a starship? In this section, I talk about questions I had in the story, plot holes, issues I had or whatever. And again, my biggest issue with this uh, story is just the fact that, you know, Piper is created is like a equal to Kirk and Spock and. Not that, you know, and I please, listeners, if you're if anyone's listening, I know I don't have a whole lot of comments yet early on in this series. But please do not take this as an old misogynist old man that doesn't think women can be the equal of Kirk or Spock. That is not why I'm saying this is a negative. It's just the fact that, come on, man, it's Kirk and Spock. Uh, you know, they are considered two of the greatest amongst all the good Starfleet officers. Female, male, you know, androgynous, you know, uh, whatever their sexual history may be, or, or their sexual preference, or how they identify as a gender, that has nothing to do with it. It's, it. it's that Kirk and Spock are the epitome in TOS. You you know, and yes, TOS stories are told that way on purpose, but in TOS, Kirk and Spock are like the best of the absolute best. Like not, no one, no one comes close. And for someone kind of straight out of the Academy to be, you know, just as good as, um, they are kind of rubs me the wrong way. And I will say also, I had a little bit of a problem with this one, the whole conspiracy thing of, you know, trying to, these scientists trying to auction this off to the highest bidder it just didn't make as much sense. The conspiracy in the first book of this duology, uh in the first book, Dreadnought, that conspiracy made a little more sense, just flowed a little better. And this one it seemed as though either the author or pocketbooks, and I won't blame the author because I know sometimes, especially with tie-in novels, um, you know, they'll be sit they'll an editor will read and say, hey, this is really good. Come up with another story that's similar, like it with the same characters. And so I don't know if it was Miss Carrie kind of rehashing, hey, we're involved in another conspiracy type thing, or uh whatever, but it just didn't fit quite as well uh this time around. Warp drive, Mr. Scott. I had warp one, Mr. Sulu. Accelerating to warp one, sir. All right, so now it comes finally to my ratings. And you know, the with the warp factor it goes from impulse to warp five, and it's really based on the overall read was it a quick read? Did I enjoy it? And yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. I uh, this was another very fast read. I mean, she Miss Carrie, can write a good book, and again, the first person aspect made for for me personally. I read first stories told by with a first person narrator much faster than I do a traditional omnipresent or omniscient rare narrator third person. Again, doesn't. I mean, I love third-person books, don't get wrong, but just because of that style of writing, I instantly can read that faster than I will uh, a traditional third-person style of writing. Uh, and the plot, I mean, it kept going. It was just like Dreadnought in the sense that, hey, each chapter ends with a, like a cliffhanger. It was like the old serials of the 20s and 30s. And so you just kind of, oh, well, I got to keep reading. How are they going to get out of this? How are they going to get out of this? So I I did think it was a really, really quick read. However, maybe I personally, this is just for me, uh, maybe I should have waited to read this one instead of jumping right into it after reading Dreadnought. Uh, This time around, the Mary Sue aspect just became a little too much. Like I remember my dog looking at me funny when I may have actually screamed out loud come on, whenever she outsmarted Spock's navigation lock, I mean, Spock's computer programming, that's always been a thing on the show and in the books that, you know, the master, you know, of the best up there with like the Richard Daystrom's, uh, of it. And just for this lieutenant commander to be able to break his locks that he on had on just was a little too much for me. Um, and I also kind of got a little annoyed with Piper trying to fix or figure out her friend Sarda. Again, this could be the teacher in me. This could be, you know, looking at it from the perspective of 2021 as opposed to the perspective of, you know, 1986 when the novel was published. But, you know, her, Sarda doesn't really need fixed. Yeah, a lot of the things that she's perceiving as issues with Sarda are the issues that she creates because she doesn't, isn't, instead of trying to fix him, she doesn't take the time that, in my mind, in these books to really understand him and know why he does what he does. But again, you know, it could just be me looking at it with a, a different perspective. So with all that being said, um... Although I there's a fast read and all that, there's just enough of stuff going on that this one's going to be down a little bit from Dreadnought, so I'm going to rate this one Warp Factor two point five. You uh, know, again, fast read, entertaining, but I didn't find of of the three books now that I've done, this one was probably the least engaging, which is weird because I kept turning the pages. And so I was engaged that way, but it was more turning the pages in a sense of come on, let's just get this over with. How's she gonna save the day this time? Let's let's get it over with. Let's just get see what happens and get it over with. So uh again, you know, maybe and you know, if I do an end of season refresher where I look back at all the books I've read during the season. Maybe this one will bump up, but just based on the ratings of Enterprise and now uh, Dreadnought and now this one, this one just wasn't quite the same. So once again, I'd rate this Warp Factor 2.5. Mr. Spock, sometimes I think if I hear that word frequency once more, I'll cry. All right, and so in that section, hopefully soon I'll start getting some listener email and suggestions or you know your own thoughts on books to share with people. But since I have none, I will jump to the final section. Beam me aboard. Energize. Energize. Gentlemen, beam me aboard. Well, that wraps up another episode. If you like Star Trek TOS novels, please subscribe to this podcast. Uh, Please feel free to rate and review the podcast. I'd appreciate it. Offer me feedback, anything. I'm just, you know, I want to talk about TOS Trek Novels. That's, that's why I'm doing this. Uh, email me your thoughts and suggestions, and you can email me at TOS Trek Novels at gmail.com. That's TOS Trek Novels at gmail.com. That'll be in the show notes. Um, and until next time, the next episode, I'm going to be reading Mutiny on the Enterprise by Robert E. Vardman. Until next episode, read long and prosper.